How you guys doing today? How is everybody? All right. Welcome to Portico Church, Arlington. My name is Jason. It is my privilege to be with you this morning as we open up the Word of God. Um, we're in the middle of a series. Um, actually, yeah, sermon three out of four. We're talking about making decisions. And I hope you've been here with us. If you haven't, it all applies. We'll kind of review a little bit. Um, but the goal of the series is very simple. We want to understand how to have good judgment. What does it look like when I have decisions to make? And many times these decisions aren't moral decisions, what's right or what's wrong. Uh, these are, but they're huge decisions that affect your life and you have consequences, right? Many times they're good consequences, not always. So that is the goal. How do we make these decisions? So let me, um, we'll be in Proverbs today. I'll jump into that in just a minute or two. Um, but let me tell you about one of the hardest decisions I ever had to make. Um, it was years ago. It was over 20 years ago. It was when we were living on the West Coast where we grew up and got married and had kids. And the job I was working at, that company went out of business. And I wasn't too worried about it, um, but I was looking for a job, obviously. And th the nice thing about it is we knew it was going to happen. They had lost the contract, so we had three months to find a job. Well, the three months came, and I didn't have a job. And I'd been praying about it, been doing all the right things, researching God's Word, getting some counsel. And I was really convinced that God was going to bless me with a job where I was. So what happened was I was interviewed by uh, a carrier out here on the East Coast, and they offered me the job. I didn't want it. So I came back, and it was like, well, this is, this is the, the offer that they have, but it doesn't make sense for us to go. It's a bad decision. We don't live here. Our family's not here. Um, it, was a, it was not a good season of our life. <laughs> We were young, um, we, had, we were both believers, but unlike the song, we had spent our life to that point building our foundation, our home on sinking sand, if you will. I remember Jesus in Matthew 7 says, you know, he, whoever hears these words of mine and does them is like the one who builds his house on the rock. You know, the, the rain comes, the floods come, the wind comes, but the house doesn't fall. However, if you follow the rest of that, those who do not do these words do not trust me build their house on sand, and when the, the rain, the flood, and the wind comes, it falls, and he adds this, and it, a great fall it was. That was us. Um, we did love Jesus, but we were convinced we could build our lives the way we wanted it. Not only that, our marriage was falling apart. My wife was dying, actually. I was told by the doctor she wouldn't make it past 40. She was in double kidney failure at the point. And it just was not a good season for the Connors. So leaving the West Coast and family and everything that we knew to come out here was just not a good decision. And I've been praying about it. I remember my mother-in-law, she, she's a wise woman. She loves the Lord. I'm like, what do I do? She's like, we, have you prayed about this, Jason? I'm like, yeah. Has God opened a door? I'm like, no. Has God opened a door? Yes. I don't want it, Deanna. She's like, that's what God has for you. I'm like, you know you're not going to see your daughter, your grandkids? It's like, it's not about me. Oh, man. So I, it was. It was just God's, I mean, he, remember I think it was last week we talked about when God opens a door, and, and, and many times we just don't want it. I just didn't want it. 
So I was convinced, I'm like, yes, we will do this. And I'm convinced that God will bring us back to our hometown within three years. That's God's will for my life. It's been a lot longer than three years. It was the worst season. You never have enough information to make these decisions in the gray of life. But here's what I did learn. After prayer, after seeking the Lord's face on this, and after receiving good counsel from someone who knew the Lord a lot longer than I did, I said, this, this is what God has for you. And we left. Um, when you do something like that, and you're pretty convinced this is what God has for you, and maybe some wiser and older Christians have told you that, like we did. What is your expectation? Your expectation is that, okay, we're going to do this, and the Lord's going to bless everything that we do, because we know we're in the middle of a God's will. By the way, it doesn't even make sense. We came out here to the East Coast and had the worst year and a half of our life. It got worse. It got worse. The marriage was still rocky, still had little kids. I don't know how that's worse, but th th we still had little kids. Her health got worse somehow when we're out here, right? We, we go to a church that we didn't like, but they were preaching the word of God and power. There's a bunch of people that were so much unlike us, not a church that we really enjoyed, but God was working in our lives. And, and I'm just going to tell you, that's, like a, it, that's where we met Jesus. Now, we were Christians, but that's that's where we understood what it meant to trust God fully. Here's what I did learn in the midst of this disaster, this horror show. Many times making this decision is learning to embrace the counsel God has for you, to embrace the opportunities God has for you, and many times the season God has for you, and many times it's a season of pain, a season of trauma, Embracing that and surrendering the outcome to God. Man, I had negotiated with him so much. I had negotiated over and over and over, and he just wasn't having it. So I had to surrender the outcome completely. Kind of like we were talking about last week, the freedom in that God is completely sovereign, but I'm free. It's not my decisions that determine the outcome. It's God that does. And I just, I had to learn that the hard way. There's no way for me to get there outside of experiencing it. So that was a very hard decision that we had to do. And it didn't work out great in the beginning. A lot of decisions that you need to make right now and in your future are going to depend on your willingness to embrace what God has for you. Let's just call that grace or the gift that God has for you. To embrace that and to surrender the outcome. What do you mean by that? I mean, completely surrender the outcome. I mean, Romans 8.28 in real time. We know that for those that love God, all things work together for good. I'm going to bank my life on that. I'm going to bank my life on the resurrection and, the, and the, the victory over sin, death, all of it. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to embrace that entirely. And I'm going to surrender the outcome to God. So in light of that, we're going to finish what we started last week. Last week, we started a checklist on making a good decision and some of the things that we'd walk through together. And the first one was this, the Word of God. Is what you're going to do, how does it line up with God's revealed will? 
How does that look? Secondly, or what are your motives in this? Check your heart. You may wait something from this decision that it cannot give you. And lastly, your conscience, right? Our conscience holds the seat of, of whatever law we're holding on to. And if we're trusting in Christ, um, our conscience is going to have a role to play in that. So that's as far as we got. Today, we're going to finish the rest of it and learn what it means to embrace grace, to embrace what God has for us, and to surrender the outcome to him and walk through the remainder of it. We're going to be in Proverbs. I'm just going to read some of these Proverbs because they apply to where we are today, and then we're going to jump in and understand what it means to embrace grace and surrender the outcome to God. So we'll be in Proverbs, uh, basically chapter 11 and chapter 12. So let's walk through these together and then jump into the rest of what God has for us today. So this is Proverbs 11. I'm going to start in verse 14. He said, Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Verse 25, Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And one who waters will himself be watered. 12 verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Let me just jump over to chapter 15 Verse 22, because it's a good bookend. It says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we do thank you that your word is not a life map or a road map. It's living and it's active and it reads us better than we read it. So as we stand here today, as we sit here opening your word, our prayer is that you would open us, God. That you, by the power of your spirit, by the grace of the risen Lord, would meet us here, Lord. Would you do that? So we give you this time and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So quick review. We started with knowing this. If you're going to make decisions and you're going to make them in a way that's wise, you have to first focus on what's ordinary, right? Take care of what's mundane. Don't worry about the big decisions first and foremost. And last week we learned that when it comes to making decisions, God gives you freedom. He gives you the freedom to walk in wisdom, and we kind of unpack that today. Today we're going to jump into what it means to embrace this wisdom or embrace this grace, this what God gives us, and surrender the outcome to him in making these decisions. So what is this grace? Well, grace, a lot of times we talk about grace, we're talking about atonement. We're talking about how Jesus covers our sin. Uh, and just on that topic, grace doesn't lower the standard. It's not God sweeping sin under the rug and saying, hey, I know you tried, it'll all work out. No, it's actually Jesus meeting the standard fully and completely, meeting the law. That's what grace 
this means a lot of times when we speak, but I'm using it in a much more generic sense in that God gives us or gifts us all the time. He's always giving to us. And part of that includes circumstances, gifts, opportunities, counsel. So embrace the gift or the grace that God gives us and surrender the outcome. So what are these three movements or some graces that God gives us? First uh, is the grace of counsel. We're just going to go there. And some of the Proverbs dealt with that. God gives us the gift of counsel. Secondly, he gives us the gift of gifting, right? He, he gives us or graces us with gifts and abilities. And these have a role in the decisions that we make. And lastly, uh, he gives us the grace of glory. We, we so many times want the what in life, what should I do? But we will not answer the why. And your heart knows that. And so that makes your decisions faulty. So we'll walk through that today. So the grace of counsel, the grace of gifting, and the grace of glory. What does it look like um, to understand that and to embrace it and to surrender the outcome to God? Um, so first, the grace of counsel. Um, <laughs> the counsel of authorities. Who's excited about that one? You just want to walk through that, right? You're like, yeah, yeah, I know. No, the grace of authorities. Actually, God gives us authorities. God establishes authority for us. I'm just going to read this out of Romans 13. You've probably heard it before. As we get into the election season, it's probably good to hear again. Romans 13 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist incur judgment. Um, And it goes on and explains that. So the idea is this. It's not that any specific governing authority is perfect. It's that God is the authority. God establishes authority for a purpose and for a reason. And in its basic sense, it's to restrain evil and to benefit the people that are subject to it. So how does that apply to your decision making? If you're making a decision that flies in the face of the state, you should probably check it because we're supposed to submit an authority to the state, all of us. I don't care who we are. Uh, What do you mean by that? Well, if you weren't going to claim that income on your IRS return, because you're like, they don't need to know about that, God would probably, well, no, he would. God would say, no, that's actually not true. Claim it. Don't put yourself in a position where you are an authority over the state. Now, here's where that's different, and each state runs differently. If the state asks you to do something that conflicts with God's word, you do not obey them. And we can get real creative about that, but that, that's not very common. Especially, well, not very common in our society, but it, it's becoming an issue. Worldwide, it's very common. But it's just very simple. What is the authority of the state? Secondly, would be family. Um, now, unless you're not an adult, the type of authority that family has over you is different. If you're a child, you're called to honor your, your you know, just basically obey your parents. So if you're a little one making a decision, that would be an authority that you'd go to. If you're an adult, but you still have parents, you're going to honor them. That doesn't mean that you're going to 
do what they tell you to do, but it's a, it's a resource. This is a gift. This is a grace of counsel that God gives to you. And many times our parents are irritating to us because we don't understand the situation that you're in, but God still has given them to you and they have good counsel. Um, and the last counsel of authority that I would even just bring up to you is the church, right? Um, let me just read to you Hebrews 13, 17. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning for that would be of no advantage for you. Um, man, we love you guys. But I kind of shake a little bit because I know that I'm going to give an answer for your soul. And the elders at Portico take that very serious. So does that mean you're going to come talk to a pastor every single time you have a big decision? Of course not. No. A lot of people do. A lot of people get counsel. And sometimes it jumps up to us, and we do love that. And we would love to talk to you about that. God has a role for the church and the authority structure of the church that we can speak into your life. Now, a lot of times we hear it with small, like this is how that happens with small decisions. So I'm thinking about buying a car. Should I get the turbo or should I get the standard or the electric? Like, okay, we can have it. I would love to talk to you about that. Turbo always. Um, <laughs> but here's how that happens in a bad way. If it's a big decision and you pretty much knew what we were gonna say anyway, you're not really asking. You're just like, oh, let me just tell you, know, hey, I was gonna tell you I took this job and like, I'm not gonna be here next week. And it's like, oh, okay, that's fine. Like. It's not wrong, it's just you're, you're missing a resource. You're missing a resource. And a lot of times when we just come to people and tell them, it's because we don't want them to speak into it. Or we say, hey, I've already prayed about it, I know this is God's will for me. Like, okay, now you're just telling me that I can't say anything against what you believe because then I'm crossing God. So be careful about that, and also know that th these are authorities that God has given to us for the purpose of making decisions. So understand that. Grace of counsel, counsel of authorities. Second one, and this is, so that's on the checklist. Second one on the checklist, I think it's number one, two, three, four, five, maybe? Is it five? I don't know. All right. So it's going to be up there. I, I promise me. Counsel of community. I think you're more willing to deal with this. I think you're more willing to go to your friends in the community. I think you're more careful about that. And Proverbs really dives into that. But in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. Abundance of counselors. Not just one. God gives you a family. gives you a community. And 1522 kind of mirrors that. Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. And also calls us out, <laughs> saying in 1215, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. right? But the wise man listens to advice. So hear what God's saying here as we triangulate that. Um, if you don't listen to those who love you, you're stupid and you're a fool. Now, that doesn't mean they always get it right. It doesn't mean that. But you need to hear them. It doesn't always mean you do what they say, but you've got to hear them. And a lot of times, if we hold a decision that's so close to the vest, right? Check your heart. I'm not going to let you see it until it's over. So one of God's biggest gifts to you, right? Grace of counsel is who's sitting next to you. Many times how God answers your prayer 
is by the people sitting next to you, the people in your community, the people in your discipleship group. He comes to you through them all the time. When you're praying for guidance, so many times it comes through your community. So many times. That's happened to me. I can't tell you how many times it's happened to me here. I just gave you an example of how my mother-in-law spoke into my life, and she was absolutely right. Had I not followed her advice, um, I don't know how much I would have frustrated what God is doing in my life. So, counsel of community. Listen, friends, um, you know how this works? There's always one thing in your life, at least, that you don't want counsel on. Like, yes, and so we'll get together in community group and we're talking about, um, you know, this and how my job's awful and should I date this person or not? Should I cut it off? Should I do that? But there's one thing in your life where you're like, that doesn't come out of the vault. Or I'm only going to share it with one person who's actually just afraid to even confront me. So you're missing something that God has for you. Embrace grace, what God has for you in counsel, in counsel, and then surrender the outcome to him. You're going to want this. Trust me on this. Um, it's hard, it's difficult, but you're not on your own. Isn't that beautiful? The idea of counsel is that you're not on your own. Do you know how a ship or an airplane gets lost? They navigate with one reference point. Do you know how your phone works? It connects to different GPSs and it measures the distance and it comes up with a position. If you have just one satellite, it has no idea where you're at. Well, it has an idea, but it's not a good one. When you're just triangulating your life, your big decisions off of yourself and off maybe one other person that you know is gonna tell you what you wanna hear, you run the risk of making a bad decision. You do. So God has given you counselors. He's given us simple things, state, family, church, counsel of your community. Listen to him, right? Let them in on that. Embrace this grace. And as you make decisions, surrender the outcome to him. It's the grace of counsel. Secondly, the grace of gifting. I think this is a little more intuitive. Um, listen, God loves diversity. Do you know that? He loves, and this is not a political statement or even a social statement. He absolutely loves diversity. And in that vein, he gives it and he gives gifts with just generosity to all of us. And he's designed us so that it's impossible for us to live without each other. We should take note of that. He loves diversity. Um, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the church a little bit. So let's look at that when it speaks of gifts and maybe extrapolate that a little bit to how we make decisions. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were, oh, wrong, sorry, I started too early. I should look at the little dot. Here we go. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. This is how God thinks. This is how God operates. The Apostle Paul specifically speaking of spiritual gifts or gifts and talents that are empowered by the Holy Spirit in real time so that God can work through you to build up and bless his church. That being said, everything you have is from God. All of it. 
Everything you have is from God. Well, I went to school. Your intellect is from God. The relationships you have from God. Where you're born, you had nothing to do with that. From God. The time and the age in which you exist, from God. Everything you have is from God. The Apostle Paul says as much in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. He says, tell me what you have that you have not been, you just didn't have received. Tell me, give me a list of the things that you have that you haven't been given. God gives us everything, everything. So why do I say that? Um, Well, for a couple reasons. God loves diversity. He loves uniqueness. He created 300 and some odd different species of beetles. That seems a little extravagant to me. But he likes it that way. What if you allowed your uniqueness to be less about telling your story and more about telling his story? Could you live in that world? What if your uniqueness and the things that he's made different and special and powerful and weak about you were more about understanding God and telling his story than finding a way and finding a reason as to why your life matters. Um, Have you guys ever heard of the parable of the talent? You have, okay. Well, you're gonna hear it again. I just wanna show you this. I know it's it's long, but if we understand the grace of God's gifting to you, this just wraps it up really well. I'll paraphrase a bit. So Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God and how things work in the kingdom of God. And he uses a bunch of parables to explain it. And so the idea here is there's, um, or it'd be like a man, the, the kingdom of God, going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them, big word, entrusted to them his property. And he gave five talents to one and then two to another and one to another, each to his according to his ability. Do you see that? God's actually giving or entrusting to people according to their capacity and ability. So if you want to find your value based on your accomplishments and the things that you accumulate, there's a problem there already. Because in diversity, means we have, we have in diversity in, in capacities. Maybe you have a very low capacity and you have a high capacity and that's not because you're more important than me or less important than me. I just, I love that. So God gives to them different things based on their ability. Then he went away. And the one who received five talents went at once and traded them and made five talents more. The one who had two did the same. But the one who had one talent dug and hid it in the ground, hid the master's money. And after a long time, the master of the servants came back and settled accounts with him. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more. So he doubled it, saying, Master, you delivered to me five. Here I've made five talents more. And a talent is just money. It's about a million bucks in today's economy. That's a lot of money. So he doubled it. And his master said to him, listen to what he says. Hey, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I like that. And he who had two talents came forward. Same thing, he doubled it. You know what Jesus said to him? The exact same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. Although there's a lot less at, well done. What I entrusted to you, you invested. You invested your life for my kingdom. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And then the last one, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, 
wrong conclusion up front. The one that hit his talent had a wrong conclusion about God. God's like blessing the other two for using whatever they had for his glory. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. And the one that had been given one talent has a wrong conclusion. I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent. This person made a decision in fear, believing that life is all about just protecting what you have. And he hid it. The master said, you wicked, slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather, where I have scattered no seed, then why didn't you invest it? Why didn't you invest your life for my glory? Why would you think that about me? Forever who has, I will be given more, and whoever does not have will be taken away. And he cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. How does this have anything to do with your decision-making? Be faithful with whatever he's given you and invest your life wherever he's placed you. Even, well, what has he given you? He might give you a season of pain or suffering. He might give you a season of joy. He might give you a million dollars. He might give you a great marriage. He might call you to singleness. There's a lot of things that God might do, but whatever he entrusts to you, use for his glory. He will multiply that. You might have a different capacity. You might have different abilities. Same reward, enter into the joy of my master. I absolutely love that. So the next one on the checklist, six, because I'm looking at it now. What is the best use of your gifts and your abilities and your resources? That should come into your decision-making. They were smart in the parable of the talents. They did it quick. They didn't sit around. It's like, I'm going to take what I have and invest it for the kingdom. Yes, it's, it's, the example is money, but the idea is your whole life. Investing your entire life. Think about Martin Luther King for a minute, right? This weekend, celebrate him. What if he didn't make the most of the opportunities that were put before him? I'm not talking about his education. He was well-educated. I'm talking about the opportunities he had to speak into, not even speak into, but to really build the civil rights movement from nothing. Imagine if he had backed off and said, that's not really what I had in mind, or that's important, but I'm going to do this. What if these opportunities that he had, he backed away from and said, it's just not, that's just not for me. That can't be God's will for my life. Fully invested his life in this, right? Grace of gifting. God is going to give you things, friend. And I will tell you, you will be able to communicate God's love and his gospel in ways nobody else can do it. You're not a carbon copy of somebody else. God has made you unique. Here's what you are. You're an image bearer of the Trinitarian God. So grace of gifting, right? Embrace this. Embrace 
this grace and surrender, again, the outcome to God. Now, Martin Luther King didn't have a great outcome, personally. But he had a fantastic outcome in changing racism, the status and the place of people in color in our society, calling out injustice, fantastic outcome. But he himself suffered. He himself suffered in so many ways. So how are you investing your life? As you're making decisions, ask yourself this. If we're going to embrace grace and surrender the outcome, how are you investing your life? Are you hiding it? Are you holding it? Are you keeping it? Are you saving it for a rainy day? Are you not making decisions that have consequences? Are you not getting skin in the game? What's interesting to me is that the, the person in the parable of the talents who misunderstood the character of God was the lazy one. So many times we delay, not because we don't know, but because we really don't know the character of God. And we're worried of making a decision that's so off that God can't recover. So as we walk in faith, as we trust, man, we have that freedom to walk in wisdom, right? We have his word, right? That, that's huge. We have our motives. The word checks our motives, right? Thoughts and discerns the thoughts and tents of our heart. We have a conscience. We have counsel from authorities. We have counsel from our community, from those in our covenant community, in our church. We have that. And now we should ask ourselves, hey, what's the best use of whatever God has put before me, my abilities, my gifts, my skills, my resources, grace of gifting. The last thing I'd like to look at is the grace of glory. This is so important. Um, it sounds really like, of course, you're going to end this way, right? No, no, listen. You have spent so much time trying to figure out what to do, you've forgotten why you're doing it. If you don't know why you're making decisions, you will hijack the whole process. Um, what do I mean by that? You, you do know the reason why you always feel a little bit dissatisfied with every decision that you make and every job that you have and every relationship that you have. And eventually, even if they're good to start with, they, they start to lose glitter. They start to lose just why you, the joy that they brought to you. Don't fight that. That's really good. You should be thankful for that because it's teaching you as a creature of God that you cannot find what you need in any decision that you will make. You, as an image bearer of the living God, you can find no ultimate joy or satisfaction outside of a love-trust relationship with him personally. So this is putting the why before the what. This is choosing glory first. Well, I don't care about glory. Yes, you do. Think about the music that you love. Think about the sports teams that you follow. We're always trying to find something that's just a little bit beyond us, takes us to the transcendent a little bit. 
We want to be a part of something that is bigger than us, that is universal, and that is the pursuit of glory. And that comes because, as Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has put eternity in your heart, and you find it unacceptable just to live. You need to find a reason to live. And many times that fleshes out in the bad decisions that you make because you're trying to find glory in your decisions, and you're never going to find it. You're never going to find it. You're just hiding it and waiting till God comes back. I'll just, I'll just hold it here. You have to live in awe of something. You're built that way. You'll find something to live in awe of. Live in awe of God. That's why Proverbs 9 says, 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning, right? The threshold, the open door to wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So, yes, the grace of glory. Many times your need for glory makes you feel sad and dissatisfied and alone. Praise God, it pushes us to him. It pushes us to him, right? Live for God's glory alone. Now, as an image bearer, where am I getting that? Genesis 126. In the creation account, God says, let us create man in our glory. Male and female, he created them. Meaning this, no matter what decision you make or what you do or who you are, in Christ, in an authentic relationship with God, your highest call and your highest love and your highest desire is to reflect God's goodness and beauty and justice and grace and mercy to all of creation. That's what you're made to do. I don't care what your abilities are. That's what we're made to do, and we can do it. We can do it in Christ. Now, here's what that means when it comes to decisions, the grace of glory. If you're going to live for God's glory... That means you will spend your life serving others with your decisions. You hear that? If you're going to live for his glory, if you're going to live in awe of him, and that's what it talks, that's what it means, Proverbs 9.10, when it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you're going to live in awe of God, if you live as a creature of the great creator, then you will use your decisions to serve others. Why? Is that, is that just a Christian thing to do? I guess that's what God does, right? It's better to give than receive. Though he was rich, he became poor, that in him we might basically be ridiculously rich. He's a giver. And he calls us to live that way. So as we make decisions, we must ask ourselves, what impact does my decision have on you. If I'm living for God's glory, my decisions will serve you. That sounds a little idealistic. I know it does. That's just who God is. And he makes us to image him. He makes us to live like that. It's better to give than receive. So what, what impact is that decision going to have on other people? What about your family? What about your friends? Um, how are you influencing the people that are in your life through your decisions? And they can be little decisions. 
Like, hey, I decided instead of walking into my house because it's cold, I'm going to go say hi to my neighbor. Um, I decided to give more than I can afford to India this year. Uh, you guys did that. You're impacting people, right? How is your decision impacting other people? Uh, I'm, I'm, a lot of times people, I've heard a friend of mine, like, yeah, I'm going to go take this job but because um, it's a lot more money. And that's good. There's something wrong with more money. But is there a church out there? I don't know, I guess. What about the community you're leaving? Well, what about them? Hey, what about your wife and kids? They have a pretty good thing going here. Well, there's, they can have a pretty good thing going somewhere else. Not necessarily untrue, but are you evaluating the impact your decision is having on other people? Living for God's glory, right? The grace of glory. Be a glory hound. You're, you're created that way, but glorify God. Think through the impact your decision is having on those around you. That's how the kingdom works. God fills his people with his presence that we might love one another radically. And love is just giving. It's giving at your cost. It's giving at your cost. Um, can we walk through a couple of decisions here? Can we just play with this for a minute, this checklist? No? Okay. Hey, thanks for coming today. Now, um, <laughs> by the way, I like, I'm just going to say this for a minute because I have to get it off my heart. <laughs> I'm not the biggest football fan in the house, but I do like the NFL a little bit. I love the San Francisco 49ers. I really do. I've met Joe Montana, just to tell you that. My bride does not love them. She loves the Green Bay Packers. I've already scheduled marriage counseling. <laughs> because no matter who wins that game today, somehow the Connor household loses. <laughs> That's a decision I made, and I think it was the right one. Um, I love you, baby, but really a jersey in church. Okay. Um, is somebody going to say something? I can't really. Right. All right. Council of community. Um, let's walk through this. Uh, I, I'm going to take a new job. And by the way, next week we're going to talk about your book, Choosing a Vocation and a Calling. We're gonna go, just, that's all we're going to go through. Um, is it, how does God word, God's word reflect on my job? Well, I don't know, several ways. But is it a good job? Does it help people? Almost, most, almost every job does. Or is it actually damaging people? Check that. Secondly, what's your motive? Are you taking this job because it's... It's a good job, or are you taking this job for other reasons? Other reasons that just go beyond what you should take a job for. Like, hey, um, they're offering me a role where I'll, um, I've always wanted to like, be in management, and I'm going to take this job because they don't know anybody, and they're going to let me be a leader. And I just, I just need that in my life. Not that being a leader is bad, but check your motives. Check your conscience. Like, knowing, knowing God's word and knowing my heart, what does my conscience say about this? If I just had to make a decision right now, where would it be? Um, number four, council of authorities. Um, is this job legal? I'm just going to say that. Because some jobs aren't. Um, what would your family say about it? What would your best friend say about it? What would your church say about it? What would your pastor say about it? Is this the best use of your gifts, abilities, and resources? Are you good at it? I'm just going to say that. 
does, you don't have to take a job you're good at. Sometimes you grow into positions. But is this a good use of how God has made you? That's an important question, and we'll get more to that next week. And lastly, how is this decision impacting others? I did not go through this checklist or even think through this in any systematic way or in any way as I was making the decision to come out to the East Coast. But I will tell you this. It was the best decision that we ever made, and it was the worst season of our life. I remember sitting with Chrissy on our bed in Southern Virginia. We just got a letter from the bank saying, we took your house, lost it all, man. Lost a car, lost every, everything that we had. And I remember praying with her and it was almost if, as if God said to me, hey, is this, hey, buddy, is this too much? Is this too much? He didn't say it as sarcastic as I did. <laughs> but he said, you need to let me know now where your faith is. Because it's probably going to get worse. So if you're going to punch out, maybe now's a good time. I've never been so almost hurt and joyful at the same time. And have you ever heard that song, Though There Be Giants in the Land, I Will Not Be Afraid? It's basically about Israel going into the promised land out of Joshua and Deuteronomy. I felt that what was before me was way too much for me. And God's response is, are you kidding me? Look behind you. Who fights for you, Connor? You really think it's so bad I can't work through that? Trust me, let's go. And it gave me a freedom I will never forget. And the decision I really had to make was this. Is God going to get my entire life all of the time? Is that it? That is he get my entire life all the time forever? All of it. And it took all of that for us to say, yes, you can have it. I'm giving you everything that we have. Choose that. Choose that. See, Jesus chose death that we can choose life. It's as simple as that. You experience death too, right? Our, our bodies and the clock's running. Jesus experienced eternal death that you might begin eternal life now. This, you embrace this. Embrace this gift that God has for you. Surrender the outcome to him. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. Um, you're so good and you're so kind and you're so giving, and you're so loving. And you give us so much freedom with a call to glorify you, to listen to your words, to obey you, to trust you in all things, and to give us your entire life. And Jesus, you've given everything for us because of your love for us. As we make decisions, Lord Jesus, as a church, individually. God, would you be in it? Would you teach us how to make these decisions, to embrace the grace that you give us, Lord, to surrender the outcome, to listen to counsel, Lord Jesus. Walk in the gifts you've given us and glorify you in everything we do. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.